0: Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about The Governess Without Guilt by
1: Catherine Graham. This was just published in 2022 and is the second book in the Preston's series.
0: And full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary copy of the novel. But I, I mean, I think even if we hadn't received a complimentary copy, we would have read it. We've been really enjoying this series. And if you missed it... Uh, We recently re-released the first in the series, our episode on the first in the series, The Viscount Without Virtue. So you might want to go back and check that out.
1: And the first book in the series is actually an introductory novella. It's a point five in the series. Um, And one of the things that Kate and I noticed about Catherine Grant in The Viscount Without Virtue is she really was willing to take risks that we're not used to seeing in romance novels. Um, In that case, killing off the woman who starred in the prequel novella. And so, oh, I mean, full, as usual, spoilers abound for the previous book in the series. <laughs> Late warning. But I mean, you're re- listening to a review of like the second or third book, depending on how you count it. We will be talking about the first two pretty freely. Um, and I think that in a different way, I was equally impressed with the risks she was willing to take in this one, even where I didn't think they worked necessarily. I thought they were an extremely cool writing experiment.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with you on that one. Should we read the book jacket?
1: I think that's what we do, usually.
0: All right. Sophia Preston wants adventure, excitement, and self-determination. She hired herself out as a governess to gain independence, and now she has it at Robin Abbey. Every day, she gets to mind the Cosgrove children, eat the Cosgrove's food, and live by Cosgrove's rules.
1: When John Anderson arrives as accouchere ahead of Lady Windlake's next baby... Sophia immediately sees the potential for excitement. Who wouldn't want to seduce the handsome young doctor who is guaranteed to move on once once Lady Windlake's baby is born? John
0: doesn't mind flirting with the intriguing governess, as long as they aren't caught. He has goals, and they don't include ruining his reputation. Still, he must admit that Miss Preston is everything he ever wanted in a woman. Smart. Beautiful, unlike anyone else he's ever met.
1: When counterfeit banknotes surface in town, the authorities suspect someone at Robin Abbey is the criminal. Suddenly, both Sophia and John are put under the microscope. They have no choice but to band together to find the true culprit. The only question is, will they find true love, too?
0: <laughs> Look... I love, I really do like uh, the final rhetorical question. It was one of my favorite parts about a book jacket. I've gotten,
1: I don't think this jacket breaks the mold in any way. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think it it has like twists or allusions to the text that somehow, that like make the best of the best jackets. But I've got no complaints here. I think the facts are there. I don't have any bones to pick and the conflict is laid out. Uh, I think the only thing maybe missing is that John is biracial. Yeah. And so a lot of his interpersonal, his interpersonal, his personal conflict comes from the way he interacts with his family in the world as the illegitimate son, let alone a half Indian son of a British person. But I don't necessarily think the jacket needed that. And it's not as big of a part of John's story as you might expect either.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, as usual, we generated a random number, and then we used that number to write our own summaries, using that number as a word count. So some people get confused, I think, about what the random number summaries are. We just write summaries that have the same number of words in it as the number that we generated.
1: I feel like the more I explain it, the more confusing it gets. I'm also really glad we've started explaining it three years in.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't think we realized it was so confusing until three years in. Yeah, seriously. Well, the number for this episode was 31.
1: I can start. Okay. So, governess by choice decides to seduce a doctor who is much less comfortable with sex-only relationships than she is, while they're both accused of counterfeiting. Is a sex book
0: without feelings of romance? I also like your rhetorical question here, Lane.
1: <laughs> I stuck with the facts of the summary, pretty closely echoing the book jacket, but... The
0: the question is a different one, and I don't think it's a rhetorical question, in fact. I think it is the question that will form the thesis of our discussion tonight.
1: Alrighty. Well,
0: here, here's my summary. Um, okay. As soon as John shows up at Sophia's job, she knows she wants to sleep with him. Intellectually, he sees the attraction, but his body won't cooperate. Will house arrest help? Yes. I also went with a rhetorical question because the answer to mine is yes, it will help. (laughs) Okay. All right, so what are the tropes? of this novel.
1: Um, so the romantic-centric trope is forced proximity with a twist of doctor-patient romance. She's not really his patient, but him providing medical treatment provides a lot of the excuses for them to be alone.
0: Yeah. I, I also think there's a very slight friends with benefits Trope where they they want to do friends with benefits and then they catch feelings, right?
1: Do you don't yeah.
0: see in historical romance?
1: Yeah, I think the only twist on that trope, and it's very worth mentioning, is that that's never what John wants.
0: No. Yep. Well, we'll talk about it because that's my summary. It's like he's like, yeah, friends with benefits sounds awesome, but I can't. I just can't do it. You know, right. So, which is fair. Like I, 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 I don't know if I could
1: do it. I don't know. That it was interesting to have a below stairs romance mm-hmm. with the daughter of a baron.
0: Well, I thought this was one of the most interesting parts of the book too. Is that like if you read historical romance, you know that the governess occupies this very odd strata. Stratum in society. I don't know. My my English is not so great. It, it's well, that, that's where your Latin.
1: <laughs> yes, I was going to say when it's
0: when it Latin invades my English, I'm not very good at it. Anyway, they they are at a, a space in society that's it's a liminal space. Like, I'm <laughs> anyway, they are not they're not servants, so they're not below stairs, but they're mm-hmm. also not part of the family, uh, and they're not like gentry they're not invited to eat so like with the family so they occupy this in between space and it's appears to me i didn't know very much about uh, much about accouchers but it appears that they also occupy the same sort of space right Mm -hmm. they're not a servant they don't get wages they get a nice room they have more of a reputation reputation is important to them but they're also not an honored guest or part of the family, like they're there to provide a service.
1: Correct. The unique part here is that the governess in question is of the gentry aristocracy.
0: Yes. Yes, yes. She is. so, And she doesn't seem to be... She hasn't fallen on hard times either. She's just...
1: This uh, is,
0: she wants to do something other than what her family has prepared her for.
1: Right. And they both have daddy issues. Yep. His father, he's the illegitimate son, as we mentioned, of an aristocrat and an Indian mistress who didn't know she was a mistress. Mm -hmm. Who he brought back to England with him and set up in the home of a relative as a servant. Yep. And her father is this known radical socialist and she doesn't... It's not that she doesn't agree with her father's politics, it's that she is just rebelling against everything she grew up with. Um, that was one of the things I both liked about this book and made Sophia really unsympathetic in my eyes. Mm-hmm. I liked her radical selfishness as a character trait in that it was interesting, but she didn't think critically about why she thought her mm-hmm. father's policies were problematic or what she was specifically rebelling against other than just the limits of what she grew up with. Yeah. And I, it's not that I don't find that authentic. It's that I,
0: she wasn't a sympathetic character. Yeah, I was. I was gonna say she she's written as her age, which is like early twenties. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, trying to find herself. She she kind of knows what she doesn't want, but she doesn't know what she does want. And I think it's relatable on the one hand, but on the other hand, as you say, does not necessarily relatable in a sympathetic way, right? Right. You know. It's a really interesting character. And another thing that she does, we already talked about this, but her father was the hero of that initial 0.5 novella, right? So right. when you read that novella, you're like, wow, he's a romance hero. And he has aged, again, authentically for these books. And you, I, for one, it, it's difficult to see him as that romance hero, which I think is really interesting. Very interesting choice.
1: Right. He's not used as the typical parent who previously had a romance novel written about them where they just show up to reaffirm their devotion.
0: It's it's not like Sebastian Lauren St. Vincent who shows up once he's the duke to meddle in his children's love lives but only in the best way. Right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. Um... Let's see, any other tropes? She's falsely accused and has to
1: prove her innocence. And he, as the person that she's been hooking up with, but also as the person in a similar social strata, Yeah. sort of, we've discussed the sort of here, um, to her ends up being her ally against yeah. the false accusations. I don't know if I wish this had gone a little harder into like investigation romance or not. I think I wish yes. they spent more time together and that yes. would have been one way to do it. I
0: totally agree with you. That was actually probably the part of the book that was toughest for me. Was she has this house arrest and so she's accused of counterfeit or not maybe not creating the counterfeiting notes, but of using them and passing them out. Deliberately. She they don't
1: believe the fact that she has them is a mistake.
0: Right, and um, when they, so they accuse her of this, they find some counterfeit notes, like, on her, uh, in her possession, and so they confine her to her quarters. She's in house arrest, and instead of this being, like, a sexy, forced proximity kind of house arrest, they really don't see each other very much at all.
1: And it's not that they would have necessarily seen each other in their performing their duties on a daily basis it would have been a clandestine evening affair type thing but it's just it's not like they sit around thinking about each other right because there's this conflict going on and prior to the conflict starting they don't know each other very well right right and so there's a lot of pressure and forced closeness that doesn't feel like it has a lot of emotional charge.
0: Yeah. Beyond yeah. the
1: fear of being punished.
0: Yeah, so to me, when she the, the place in the book when she's placed under house arrest is at the part of the book where I feel like the relationship would have been getting deeper and like more complex. Like, that was the... They had, like, sort of the meet-cute, and then this would have been the really getting-to-know-each-other part through the conflict. Yeah. They go on a road trip. They do this investigation together. I don't know, whatever. And instead, they seem to be forced—instead of forced proximity, forcibly separated.
1: Yes. And then the only other trope I want to point out, and this is one of my favorites, and it was actually really exciting to see Catherine Grant use this trope, when the Preston family is all about austerity. Mm Hmm. She wears her rebellion. So, look, I'm this rebellion may not be a fully formed worldview, which, again, authentic. But she wears really nice clothes. She wears jewels. She is not trying to disguise herself as a normal governess. Like, her employers know she's the daughter of a baron. And know she likes being the daughter of a baron in that she likes her jewelry and her pretty dresses and her satins and her cottons. And I really enjoyed the limited amount of closed porn we got here. Yeah,
0: that's good. I think both of these books, too, to talk about something that's not in the notes at all, but occurred to me right now, is how it it sort of engages with this, this great man syndrome. Where, you know, if your father or your grandfather is a great man, how do you define your life? with that happening and I I do feel like the last two books um you know in the first book in the series the heroine there is she has fully embraced her father's principles and fully supports them and in fact when she discovers that he's not as pure uh, a, a principle as she thinks that's what upsets her the most and in this book Sophia's really defining herself in almost in total opposition with that Mm -hmm. right and again not necessarily by principle but like well why do i need to do everything that he tells me to do and it makes me think of one of my favorite series which is the um vorkosigan saga the vorkosigan cycle that actually they really engage with that as well which i think is just very it's a really interesting character right because most of the time when we're reading books we're reading about the great man or the great woman, right? So I think it's really interesting when you see the the children and how they react to that. So anyway, uh, that, is, that is all. I think it's very interesting. So I'm still trying to figure out exactly how I feel about the book because I do think there's a lot going on that as we say is very interesting and really cool that Catherine Grant takes it on. I've really been liking her last few books and how she engages with a progressive ideology through a historical lens and a romance lens. Like, I think a lot of times you think about these philosophical ideas as things that are, you know, pure principles that you're going to debate, but it's really interesting to, to read them through the lens of a romance. Absolutely. And this book, that part that I've been really enjoying felt a little bit missing or I don't know if it was missing, but it wasn't as engaged with as in the the first two books. Like, as you say, Sophia's a little bit mixed up in her thinking. She just doesn't really know what she wants. And that is something that has not been the same in the past few books. Like in the past few books, the heroes and heroines have really had these strong ideas about their personal beliefs And their personal behavior. And here. That doesn't feel. Doesn't feel like that was here.
1: I thought it was really interesting. To get away from. Netherfield Hall. Yes. Out into. People who haven't been. Aren't radicals. Or aren't being Mm -hmm. raised in radical areas. Or aren't. And I think one of the things that I struggled with is. Politics were very much set dressing here, but none of the characters were engaging with it very deeply, including the House of Lords member she's living with. Right. There's a lot of political debates at the table, but part of, I think the thesis of this novel is sort of, you don't really know anyone. Like everyone sort of gets, and I'm not talking about the hero and the heroine, the the master of the house, his wife and his mother-in-law and all of their servants sort of get a last minute reveal as to their true character or their true nature right and so I think that was very deliberate like there's these conversations happening that are potentially antithetical to the way people are behaving behind closed doors or behind closed doors people are potentially better people than you think they were but ultimately that left me feeling like I didn't really get attached or to or know any of these characters Right, and that's like that's the difficult thing with this book in particular for me is I come away being more impressed with Catherine Grant as a writer, but I'm not particularly invested in this romance. Yeah,
0: I I agree. I feel like I can identify elements that I think were we've said this word a million times really interesting and things that I really liked reading about. Like For example, there is this role reversal of Sophia being kind of like a lady rake. Yeah. Right? She sees him and she's like, ooh, he's hot. I want him.
1: More than like, that, she hears a doctor is coming and she's like, I hope he's hot so I can get laid.
0: Well, more than that, when she meets him and he's like, I need more. Like, I need to get to know you. Like, I can't just, we can't just have sex like that. Like, I, I just don't work that way. She doesn't think oh, well, I guess he's not hes not a good choice for maybe raking it up. She's like, oh, I guess I better get to know this guy.
1: And she's like, I guess I better, like, mm-hmm while he talks so he thinks I care. <laughs> <laughs> Which, on the one
0: hand, is, like, really interesting. And I think if that had been played up, like, that this is a rake role, role reversal – I would have been really interested in it, you know? Or if it had if she had leaned in and she saw him and immediately it was like, he's different. Like he's the one who's gonna change my ways. I don't know if I would have liked it more, but it would have been a really interesting way to engage with the trope too.
1: Yeah, I think the hard part for me is like she isn't interested in him for more than sex for a while. And then yep. even when she becomes interested in him for more than sex, it's clearing her good name. Like, it's really late in the book that she starts giving a shit about him as a person, and I'm not even really sure I believe that.
0: Yes. Like, there were even parts where she was like, oh, he got mad at me because I didn't ask about his mom or whatever. And she's like, oh, yeah, I guess maybe that wasn't very nice of me. Yeah.
1: Next time. You know, I I think the whole point is with a romance novel, what you want is this profound belief in a perfect match and he is so crippled by anxiety and she is so myopically selfish yeah that I don't think I bought the love story here I think Mm -hmm. I bought this as a rake and then I was told in the end the rake reformed but romance novels about rakes who continue being rakes don't exist
0: correct or well,
1: at least they don't exist in the traditional romance novel pantheon, historical romance novel pantheon. I'm sure there's a subgenre.
0: I mean, there are, there are rakes who, who are like, okay, this is going to be, like, think about one of our, okay, maybe not rake, but what do they call them? Himbos, right? Right. Like Rupert, our, our favorite Rupert. He's with Daphne and he's like, she's hot, I want to sleep with her. For most of the book, he's like, seducing her right and then it's only at the end where he's like god damn it I fell in love with this woman yeah but you you see it though you see it happening and I think that's what was missing here
1: and Meg is referencing Mr. Impossible by Loretta Chase for those who don't know
0: <laughs> if, if you're new to this podcast I talk <laughs> about Rupert and Daphne and Mr. Impossible like a lot
1: it's fine uh, yeah I think you're right there's I I want to celebrate a woman owning her sexuality especially in a time where it would have been so frowned upon but let's be real we know it happened more than the general consensus about the era talks about so yes seeing that described in such detail was excellent I just wanted her to be a little bit more infatuated yeah
0: does that make sense I, th- I think I think we're 100% on the same page here.
1: We haven't gotten to Miley's favorite part about the book yet. Spoiler alert, it's the bodily functions. I'm sorry, Catherine Grant. I love you. I love your writing. The description of Snot Rockets was like, I'm not here for it.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I think we talked about mm-hmm. selfishness. We did. So I don't know about their separation. I, I will say that in general, I kind of love a manipulative heroine. I did not find that Sophia was really manipulative, though. She
1: wasn't. She didn't have an agenda she was working no. to... She was extremely frank. Yes. Like, there was no deception to her. Yes. Yes. Um, okay.
0: I will say that I think Catherine Grant does really good historical research. So, for example, you were saying that in this era, women did own their sexuality more than we see a lot in the books that we read or the period pieces that are on TV. And I totally agree with you. If you read novels that were written at the time, contemporaneous, not talking about Jane Austen here because we've all read her stuff. She's great, but they're a specific thing, right? But if you read like Fanny Burney, if you read Evelina, if you read Tom Jones, like you will see that there were women out there raking it up. Yep. Like, Fannie Burney talks about how there are a lot of women who go and, you know, spend time in the country and everyone knows they're having their kid. Yep. You know? Like, it happened. And I really like that Catherine Gritt leaned in. She also did a ton of research about accoucheurs or man-midwives, which was really interesting. I will admit that it was a little bit tough right now during this political climate for me to read?
1: Yeah, the other thing that's really interesting, I've learned a lot more about the history of reproductive health care, abortion, and women's health mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks, couple of months, couple of years. And I am beginning to think a lot more about the eradication of the midwife Yes. From the childbearing process and the impact that it had long term on the rights of women. Um, and so I agree with you. I, it's not a criticism of Catherine Grant's historical research. And I don't think she was making a political statement about the benefits of acquiescer at all. I want to be very clear But in this exact moment, watching the male professional doctor replace yes. women who had been providing the service on a local level is a really interesting thing to grapple with. Yes, exactly. Alrighty, I wanna point out one of my favorite lines in the whole book. And one of the things I really appreciate about Katherine Grant is I think she has a really unique voice. She's a much more blunt writer than I think a lot. She she really is anti-purple prose and flowery language in a way that I, I genuinely adore. Um, and I think it makes her heroes and heroines really modern without being anachronistically. So there's there's clarity of speech and that it's not wrong, but it's just, it's not what we're used to, but every once in a while, she drops these lines or these descriptions that make it extremely clear she is a voracious consumer of the genre who appreciates what has come before her. So she's putting this new twist on things, but we have real appreciation for the literary merit of romance in general. And there's this fucking line where he tells her his name is John. And she, selfishly, clearly failing to understand that he is a sensitive soul... Starts making fun of him. She's like, "You, you need a better nickname, like Devil or Duke, or and like list these names that we know in the romance novel community as like major heroes of the genre with ridiculous fucking names." <laughs> and <laughs> just he got called out. I was like, "This, this is Catherine's gift. This is it."
0: <laughs> and yet he wasn't like, "Yes." You can call me McKenna. (laughs) No, he
1: was like, that's stupid. Why don't you like my name? He was like, but John is a (laughs) nice (laughs) name." I'm sorry, I just am who I am.
0: I know. And then then she was like, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah. (laughs) Who am I sleeping (laughs) with here? (laughs) All right. Should we move on to content warnings?
1: Yeah, I think, as usual, Catherine Grant engages with all of the topics she puts forth really intelligently and with sympathy and an informed worldview. So I think Mm -hmm. it's very much just a, hey, FYI, this is in the text, not a criticism of how it was handled. Yeah, so
0: Elaine mentioned this earlier, but John is illegitimate and he's of mixed race. So racism and classism is a big part of the text. Uh, Although we know that it's from a viewpoint where the, the characters who are engaging with it are not no, good characters.
1: Yeah. It's, it's certainly not given a pass in the text. Right. Um, the second thing, the frankness of Catherine Grant's writing and her willingness to engage in frank speech about bodily functions and sexuality sometimes crosses a line for me. <laughs> and the example, like, the birth scene there's a birth scene in this book and it is real explicit and I had to start skimming due to the explicitness.
0: hmm <laughs> Yeah. I'm I not mean, okay.
1: I, I was good. not okay. Not okay. It's On the definitely. one hand, it's authentic and it's what women went through, and it was always handled so fucking euphemistically at the time period that girls didn't know what they were going to experience. On the other hand, no sneeze or discomfort. Like, even John and thinking about his anxiety thinks about it in terms of his bowels.
0: <laughs>
1: and I, like, I, I can't. I, I can't.
0: I mean, Farah does it. All the time.
1: I didn't like it there either. But that's it. Otherwise, (laughs) like, there's a lot of class issues in general. Obviously, any book about the Prestons is going to have talk about, like, economic disparity. um, And who actually is hurt and scapegoated. And I thought all of that was handled really well. Um, Again, I think Catherine Grant, Courtney Milan, Dare, a lot of the romance novel writers we really like and continue to gravitate towards. Don't shy away. From the social inequality of the period yes correct so like praise to that but it's not just going to be pure escapism which i like but
0: facts yeah uh so let's talk about the sexiness we talked about how this we talked about this a little bit earlier well we talked about this throughout john needs a little bit more mental intimacy before he can move on to physical intimacy Which does mean that a lot of their encounters are interrupted by his inability to move forward.
1: I also thought it was interesting, and I I sort of alluded to this earlier, but she pretends to engage with him on that front. Yes. Like, she is willing to give him lip service to what he needs to make him comfortable so that he will sleep with her. And it really got me thinking about if this was reversed gender-wise, I think we would hate Mm -hmm. that hero.
0: It depends. I think there are heroes who do that. And then at the end, they have to do a major grovel. And I don't think she grovels. It's not a grovel novel.
1: I don't think she feels the need to apologize for trying to get him in bed. Yeah. In the way that... And and there's a lot of reasons that a hero... Usually romance novel heroines are naive. They're not experienced. Their entire worth is tied up in their virginity and so by trying to like talk them into sleep like i get that there's a whole lot more complication in trying to like pressure on an 18 year old girl versus a 20 something year old doctor man still doesn't i don't like that feeling yeah no i i agree like he was not nearly as able to be taken advantage of as a young girl but that doesn't change whether or not her behavior was ethical
0: yes on the other hand he's not like She's like, meet me at midnight in the tower. And he wasn't like, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen at midnight in the tower. He was right. like, she's hot. I do want to have sex with her. Hopefully, I'll be able to do it. Like, he doesn't right. go not knowing what's going to go
1: on. Right. Wait, so I think that's What I need is for you to know me better. Right. And she proceeds to mm-hmm through all of that.
0: Yeah. But I, I did think it was interesting, like, would I call this erectile dysfunction? No. But I did think it was interesting that there's a hero who's, like, calling a halt to it. Because he physically can't.
1: Yeah, and, like, to put the modern term on it, John's clearly demisexual. Right. Um, which I think manifests in a lot of different ways. It's manifested in a lot of different ways in the romance novels we've consumed. I think it was pretty fun to see it depicted. Um, and to see a, a hero who's willing to absurd himself, and a woman who clearly was in spite of her dismissive like, okay, I'm just going to do what you need performatively so that you will fuck me, at least wasn't like running from it. Right. Which was sort of his perception of the thing, and obviously there's layers to that that we could unpack, but this is generally a 30-minute show, so we're going to keep it rolling. Yeah.
0: Okay. I did think so they did have a little Roleplay slash... Okay, so apparently I think it's really hot to roleplay as yourself. I've talked about this before in like Tessa Dare's book as well, where you take this one, one part of you, whatever that might be, and you play that up to be the roleplay. So anyway, they do have a little patient-doctor interlude, which I thought was very hot.
1: Yeah. Overall, I think... Catherine Grant writes sexy scenes, and I appreciate her lack of euphemism with two exceptions in this book that are very major. Yes. They do fuck immediately after helping this woman give birth, and they are covered in bodily fluids. And <laughs> I she just couldn't. I left my body at that point. Like my soul left my body. I just got <laughs> through it. I could not <laughs> <laughs> engage with the text. And the second was, like, there was a point with this, and I get that he's a doctor and she's blunt to a fault, but it was so non-euphemistic as to be clinical rather than romantic. Like, for example, there's a scene where he says, like, to himself, all he could think about was her vagina and his penis. Like, okay, I don't necessarily view somebody in that moment being like, we were so lost to the sensation of each other's bodies and moans and being together as like euphemistic as compared to talking like in that moment i don't want to read about his member as opposed to his penis all yeah. of the time like i don't want to read about at the moment they joined as opposed to like wait does does that mean they joined in spirit or is like he inside of her right. like i want it to be explicit enough that i know what's happening but When someone is supposed to be lost to the feeling, I want them thinking about how they feel about the other person and the physical sensation, not literally about the named body parts. Yeah. And so, again, I thought that thought was really authentic to this character and to this book. It was not sexy or erotic to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, like I said, I thought the doctor-patient scene was, like, the hottest one. And that does happen pretty early on in the text.
1: It's before they catch feelings. Correct. Or or it was before she awesome. catches feelings. Yeah. I'm, like, honestly, finishing this book, my takeaway is Catherine Grant is willing to take risks as an incredibly talented writer. And I think someone who is academically interested in romance novels should absolutely read this book yeah I don't think this is going to be my favorite couple it doesn't engage with my like hot button sexy things um it's not like escapist romance to me yeah I agree it's not escapist but I'm really glad she's willing to take on these challenges as a writer because she's so adept at it that it really makes me think and challenges me as a reader.
0: Yeah, I I agree. It's it's a book that you you're right, it's not just like fantasy escapism you pick it up, you read it, you're done. Like you have to engage with it while you're reading it.
1: You I'm think after, about frankly. like
0: what you're reading, right? Like you think about why am I feeling this way? I it was it, I think it engages you as a reader more than many romance novels do.
1: But it wasn't a one-handed read and it wasn't a love story, first and foremost, I feel like. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. So, like, take all that with what you will. I, I think I'm really excited for Catherine Grant's next book. Like, this is in no way, shape, or form... Meant to reflect negatively on her as an author. Yes. Or as one of my favorite authors in the genre. But these characters weren't my-ish. Yeah.
0: You know, I I don't think I disagree. I think we're pretty much on the same page with this one. Oh, how boring. I know. People love it when we disagree. (laughs) But we agreed on this one. Thank you guys so much for listening. We would love it if you would rate, reuse, subscribe, and check us out around the internet wherever you can find plottrists.